Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish, and you can follow me on the Twitters at Scavendish. Uh, if you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. And folks, we just ask one thing. Find someone you love, pull them close, whisper in their ear, Lamestream Sports on the 440 Podcast Network. That's all we ask. That's all we want you to do. And film their reactions and send them to us, please. <laughs> please do. <laughs> see to see just how weird that whole entire experience would be for people. Send it to at Scavendish on Twitter. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, our guest today on the show, incredibly grateful to have him. Um, just a, a guy that I've known for a long time and is I'm just really happy to see where he's ended up through a lot of, you know, sort of struggle in his life. Joe Fisher, 23 years play-by-play man for the Vanderbilt Commodores, who is now, of course, at Tennessee Tech. And he's going to talk about basically everything, Steve, getting fired from Vanderbilt for drinking on the job, going through rehab, his his unemployment status, finding his job at Tennessee Tech. He, he's got a lot to tell. And I think it's important that the person going through the struggles are the people that get to tell the story and ha- have their own voice heard. And so really, really happy to have Joe on the show today. A lot of times when we when we do these interviews, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to people that I know, uh, kind of either in the media or just sort of around, and ask about someone we're going to interview. And and a lot of times you'll hear you'll hear feedback, oh, this person's X or Y or whatever else. You you ask around about Joe Fisher, and universally you get back, I'd love that guy, and what he's one of the nicest guys in the world. You know, I talked to a bunch of his former colleagues, Channel Four. Um, it's people over at Vanderbilt, and they all say the same thing, which is that you know Joe Fisher universally just one of the nicest guys, and everyone is rooting for him to succeed. You I mean you guys will hear the interview here in a, in a minute? It's it, it's interesting to hear from his perspective, just kind of how it all went down. You know what led to him losing his job? What led to him having you know on a third time trying to get pull his life back together? And 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 what what finally the stakes were for him that, that led him to do that? And you and I will have some thoughts afterward on sort of how we handle this stuff as a society. Joe will talk a little bit about it as well. Um, and sort of like you mentioned, the stakes being maybe a little different for a guy who's 23 years calling games than it is for maybe anybody else in, at, at Vanderbilt University. So uh, we'll get to that uh, after the interview. Um, however, Lamestream is, in fact, brought to you for free by who, Steve? Jaspers. Is it Jaspers? Please tell me it's Jaspers because <laughs> I think it's Jaspers. It is in fact Jaspers. And if you know Jaspers at all, like you, you listen to the show and you should, Jaspers is actually Jasper is the name of the dog, Deb Paquette's dog. She's the chef who created the menu for, for all the different restaurants at Four Top, including Jaspers. Your guessing right there at the name of our sponsor sounded a little bit like how I would imagine Jasper would talk the dog. <laughs> He's a little Jack Russell, and I feel like that's how he talks. Interestingly enough, the only other living thing that I have known in real life named Jasper's also a dog, also small, two small dogs named Jasper's and the next evolution of the sports bar on West End. There you go. So go to Jasper's free parking, great menu, continue that evolution process, baby. I love it. Uh, All right. So Joe Fisher, our guest today on the show, will have recommendations, of course, and some commentary following the interview as we as we always do. He's a wonderful guy going through a whole lot of personal struggles. And again, there's nothing for us to say here. We'll let Joe do the talking. So this was our, our conversation with former Vanderbilt play-by-play man and current communications director at Tennessee Tech, Joe Fisher. 
Joe, you know, I start this show every single week by telling people it's great to see their face, but I normally don't mean it. And with you, I absolutely mean it. It is great to see your face. Thank you for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Braden. It's good to see your face, too, and, and to hear you. It's uh, it, It's been uh, quite a ride here for a little while, but it's great to be where we are right now, and I'm glad to spend some time with you. So communications director at Tennessee Tech. We will get to all of that, of course, uh, in a few minutes, but we will start here, Joe, with I'd like to start with the, the moment that you sort of realized and Vandy and you had conversations after the coaches radio show um, where it all goes down and you realized, all right, enough is enough. They realized enough is enough. Can you try to take us through what those conversations were like, um, both with you and Vanderbilt, with you and your family? Can you kind of try to explain what those those moments felt like for you? Well, you know, after the after the show, um, there was not a tremendous amount of conversation, uh, you know, with, with Vanderbilt. I was told the following day that um, uh, I had been put on administrative leave, suspended, which I totally understood. And and just to wait and see, you know, once they decided what they wanted to do to move on. And so, you know, obviously I talked to my wife, uh, you know, my son, you know, at that time, let them know what was going on. And then it was just kind of a a wait and see mode. I had already decided on my own um, after that incident that I was going to check myself in for treatment. Uh, that was not a Vanderbilt mandated thing. I, I had already decided I was going to do that. Um, so then uh, the following uh, evening, I got the phone call um, and they, they basically said, you know, you have two choices. Uh, you can either resign or you'll, you'll be fired. And Admittedly, I, you know, I thought in the back of my mind, you know, after 23 years and, and this was the first incident of this type, you know, I was certainly hopeful that uh, that this wasn't going to be the resolution of it. But I totally understood Vanderbilt's position. I have no argument with that. They were totally within their you know, right to do what they decided to do. And so I, um, I told Tommy McClellan, who was the one who, who called to talk to me to tell me that I said, well, I'll, I'll I'll call you back in a few minutes and let you know. And then I talked to my wife and then, you know, basically imparted the news to her that I lost my job. And um, so that was a very tough, you know, time to go through because I think we, we knew that was a possibility, but until then the, the stark reality doesn't hit you. And, uh, and so we talked about it for a few minutes and then I reached back out to Tommy and I said, look, I'll just go ahead and resign. Um, and so that was the decision. Uh, so I resigned on that Wednesday evening with Vanderbilt, um, and then, uh, made it public on Thursday morning. And that was, that was an entirely different element. What was the decision like to enter a rehab program of some sort? How'd you select it? And, and what, what came out of that? Well, let me, let me give you just a little bit of background because, you know, this is, in, in terms of rehab, this was not my first rodeo. You know, I had, I had been through um, uh, an outpatient program, uh, again, one that I put myself into uh, back in 2015. Um, and then again, in 2018, um, I, I tried the inpatient program really for the first time. Um, I, I've learned a lot of things. It's not uncommon for those who have, you know, battles with addiction to, to have to go through this more than once. Uh, and, and so I was not uh, in any ways an, an anomaly, you know, that, that that would happen. 
Um, but, but, you know, going to, going to treatment uh, this time uh, was very much different for me because it was the first time that I had done it basically with the entire world now knowing that I had this problem. Uh, you know, I had, I had tried for a long time to, you know, fight this on my own with help from my, my, my program and with help from going to meetings and a sponsor and, and, and doing all those things. But I had really, really tried to keep that all, you know, you know under wraps. Uh, and this was the first time when that veil was totally lifted and, and that was no longer an issue. And I think as a result, as painful as it was uh, and as, as difficult as the loss uh, was in terms of losing your job, losing your, in a lot of ways, you know, to some people, I think your reputation, you know, to a degree, uh, I think in the long run, it was one of the best things that happened to me personally, that now I was no longer trying to basically, for lack of a better phrase, live a double life. You know, I, I was just dealing with this out in the open. I think that was very important for me. It's fascinating that the media element of this, as we are on a sports media talk show here, that the media element of this is maybe what got in the way, right? Like that, that's what you're saying is that you tried to keep it under wraps for so long that it, it sort of didn't allow you the freedom, right? To, to sort of work on the things maybe you need to. And again, if I'm, if I'm out of line here, just, just okay. tell me, but you are a public personality. You've been a public personality for a very long time, a, 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 a massive part of Vanderbilt fans experience through so many wonderful and, and obviously awful <laughs> moments. <laughs> just kind of sp speak to that a little bit deeper where, because again, even Twitter, even in the moments of you talking about it publicly for the first time, you know, we see Twitter so much as a cesspool and as a terrible place to operate and live. But but occasionally there are these moments of just genuine outpouring. And I think I think a lot of people treated you that way. So oh. speak a little bit more on the, you know, the public persona that you were protecting and how that got in the way of maybe the work you needed to do to get to where you are today. Well, I, it's very interesting. I want to touch on that about Twitter coming up in, in just a minute. But yeah, you're right. You spend so much of your time trying to protect your public persona, if you, as you will. And and I, I had always been a person going back to when I did television and was around people at Channel 4 in the Golden Age with Dan Miller and Bill Hall and, and Rudy Kalis and Charlie Mack and Dimitri and that whole group, you know, we're, we're at Channel 4 in Nashville. As great a group as I've ever been around. One of the first things that I learned from them was that they were themselves. I, you know, they, 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 what came across to you on the screen was them. And that's what made them genuine. And that's what made them highly popular. Uh, and, and I realized, I think from being with them, you know, if you try to be something you are not when you're on, it's going to catch up with you. Um, so there's a little bit of pressure, I think, that, that you put on yourself, or at least I did, um, you know, to try to keep this under wraps. And I think the other thing that you feel like is, oh, I can handle this. You know, it's never gotten in the way. You know, I've been able to keep this, you know, compartmentalized. You know, I was not a guy that, you know, went out and closed every bar in town. You know, I, I was not a public social. That was not, you know, the way I did it. In fact, it was very much the opposite for me. It was very much in isolation, you know, very much on my own. Um, and, and so that I think lended to maybe dragging this on longer, just trying to keep that by yourself. But Braden, you mentioned, you know, the outpouring on Twitter that morning before I was going to treatment, you know, I had already announced my resignation or not announced it. I had, had told Vanderbilt uh, 
And as far as Vanderbilt was concerned at that point, they were done. They were not going to say anything at all. Uh, they may have made a, made a one statement, you know, he has resigned and we wish him well. That would have been it because of, you know, HIPAA and personnel and all those kinds of things. So it came down to me to decide whether I wanted to say anything. And I just felt like it, this was the time to just come forward and let it all out. And because if you don't, then you have rampant speculation. It goes all these different directions. It doesn't help anything. Just come out, tell the story and, and move on. And so I sat down the morning that I was gonna check myself into treatment and, um, and wrote out what I thought I wanted to say. Um, I called my wife in, Diana, and I said, read this, see what you think. And, um, and she did. And she said, I wouldn't change a word. You, you've got it. And so I said, okay. And so then I had it all written out. And then there's that moment of truth when you have to hit that send button. And, uh, and I hit that send button and the first three or four seconds was total panic. You know, of, oh my gosh, you know, what, have, what have I just done? But I have to admit, it was followed by a tremendous sigh of relief. Uh, it, it was kind of like a weight had been lifted um, that, that I had been carrying for so, so long. And then to finish on the point you alluded to, for the next hour, I was simply overwhelmed uh, with what I got in response uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, from people that I know, people that I don't know, Vanderbilt fans, fans of other teams, um, people that have the same problem that I'm battling uh, to share their experience and their strength and their hope. I could not have asked for a more rejuvenating hour of support before going into treatment um, than I got at that time. I'll, I'll never, ever forget that feeling. It's fun to go to your own funeral sometimes. That's well, it's funny you say that. And I, I know the following the following day, Tim Corbin, uh, the baseball coach at Vanderbilt, wrote an open letter um, on Twitter to me. Uh, and I, I, I get emotional thinking about what, what all he said. But I remember I texted him that night and I said, the only thing that would make this better is if I died right now, because then they could read that letter tomorrow at the funeral. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I'm not sure any human being has ever uttered this sentence. I spent an hour on Twitter and felt rejuvenated. Like, I don't think anyone's <laughs> ever experienced that. I, I want to go back, Joe, because you said this is, you know, a couple of different attempts at, at trying to solve this problem that you've had. And I think way more people in this country are, are dealing with this, especially after the pandemic, than, than we realize. And was there, going back to the first sort of your first attempt, like go back to 2015 or 16, whenever it was. Mm -hmm. Can you try to explain to people like when you realize the in the moment, like, like this isn't healthy. Like I, I'm maybe not going the direction I need to go. Like you said, it never really affected your on-air ability or your talent or your work. Can you try to explain to people the, the moment when you realize like, Oh, this isn't normal. I maybe need to, to address this. Do, do you have there, that moment? I, I do. I remember a couple of them. Uh, there are elements in your life uh, basically, Braden, I think when you deal with addiction, that for lack of a, a better term, just become unmanageable. Uh, there are things that you sit that you knowingly don't want to do that you do anyway. Uh, and, and when you get to that point, you know, when, when you sit there and you're, you're talking to yourself and saying, I don't want to do this, 
bad things will happen if I do this and you do it anyway, there's a problem. I mean, that, that's very basic. Uh, and it got to the point for me in 2015 where it was beginning to impact. I mean, the only person who really was seeing day in and day out the problem that I had was my wife. And you begin to see the toll that it's taking on her. Um, you know, her concern, you know, her, her worry about me day to day, what it was doing to our quality of life, to the quality of our relationship. And, and, and there just comes a point, or there did at least in 2015, um, where I, I just said, I've, I've got to do something. You know, I, obviously, I'm not strong enough to do this by myself, or I don't know how. Um, and there just comes that time, uh, you know, it happened in, in 2015. And and I did the outpatient treatment, which for those who don't know is, is you know, you're, you're still, you're going on your own voluntarily and it's, you know, two, three hours a night, four nights a week, five, six weeks. It's pretty intensive for the amount of time that you have, uh, but you're still working and going home and all those kinds of things. And I did that and that, that seemed to do well for a couple of years and, and, and then I, I think a part of it, and I, I think I've talked about it in a couple of places before, but you kind of, there's something that begins to bother you. And this is, you have to remember, this is not just a, this is not just a character defect. Certainly there's some issues there, but this is a disease. Uh, there is a physical aspect to this that you fight mentally and physically. And, and there, there was a point to me where I became resentful. Um, and I think what I became resentful in was that I, I, I'm a grown man. I'm a successful man. I have a great job. I have a great family. There is no reason I can't do this too. Uh, and that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, and, and when your resentment and all of that builds up and overtakes what you know better, that you know better. Uh, then you make the mistake of, of a relapse. And, and that's what happened in 2018. What was your, what was your drink of choice? Uh, I was simply a scotch drinker. Uh, and, I, and I will tell you, I was probably as normal as anybody growing up in college and all that would be, have a couple of beers, have a pizza, you know, have too much on a rare occasion, wake up with a hangover, do, go to class, do all those kinds of things but I never had any issue with any other beverage until scotch. And when that one happened, that's the only one that I ever had that for some reason had this impact on me. I don't know why. Um, I never, it never made me want to, and I've been around so many other people that have been through these programs that it led to so many other things, you know, uh, worse, you know, kinds of, I never had a desire to do anything else like that. That was, that was my drink and that was all it was. How did it, how did it manifest itself there towards the end with the, going into that coach's show? Um, were you, were you drinking during the day? Were you drinking kind of away from the job? And then, then you had like, for instance, you had that show or you, you had elements that you were, that you were coming back for back to because you said you were drinking alone a lot of the time mm -hmm. that was it, it, it well this the with the show this was literally a one-time thing you know i had i had been you know fine uh, uh until that particular day you, know, you got to remember the situation we were in and i don't want to blame covid 
on this at all. But, you know, nobody was in the office. You know, nobody was was, you know, being around anybody. So you were basically on your own for the vast part of the time. And it was one of those situations where I unfortunately made the, the bad decision to, to, to pick up uh, during the course of the day. Uh, and had and just quite frankly, for lack of a better word, just, you know, you know went too far, you know, on, on that particular day. Uh, it was not something that had happened before. Um, I had never been in a situation before where I had, you know, had that impact of performance, you know, before a game or a show or, or an appearance or whatever, it had never happened before. And I was, I had always told myself I would never let that happen. You know, that, that was a source of, you know, I want to say pride in some ways that was not going to happen. But, you know, in this, anybody that deals with addiction knows that there's a phrase, usually it hasn't happened to you yet. And I had not had it happen yet until that particular night. So it, it impacted you on that particular night, but were there other times during your career where you had had something to drink and it didn't impact you? You were just able to sort of like manage it or it was always 100% sober on every broadcast you'd ever No, no, I, I, no I, 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 would be, I would be not telling you the truth, truth Ray, and if there was days where I had not maybe had one beforehand, but not, I was not in any, you know, serious issue. I'd not had several beforehand. Uh, but, but to sit here and say that I had never had a drink before a game or a, a broadcast, that, that wouldn't be true. You know, I, I had, I had maybe had, you know, one on, on some situations, but never to a point where it impacted me. Can you, can you help folks understand because you, you were a, a, a sports broadcaster, uh, working for, uh, working for channel four, but you had always wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I mean, I, and I think that's true of a lot of a lot of the guys who are in local news, they, they, they do that until they want, until the, the thing comes up that they really, really want to do, uh, particularly for broadcasters. I mean, and for, for play-by-play guys. Uh, and so this is something, and you were, you know, identified with Vanderbilt, you were identified as, as the voice of the Commodores. And that's a, that's something that you had always wanted. The, can, can you help folks who, who don't understand what addiction does that for me, for some, for, for somebody like me, I would say those stakes are so high that there's nothing I would do that would risk something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's, there's just no way that, that if that's, that's my dream job, that's, that's who I am. I, I can't let anything affect that. And yet, you know, there's something in an addict's brain, which to your, to your, point said you know it hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. uh, how does that how did that happen in your head that you know this 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 thing kind of became okay well you you, you kind of hit it on it on it i think at the beginning when you said you know in, in an addict's brain you know thing things are a little different you're absolutely right under logical thought logical process you're absolutely right you would think there's nothing i would do that would jeopardize this and i you know i mean people who are suffering with what I have dealt with and am dealing with. And, you know, you, you think that about not only your job, but your family and, you know, your kids and uh, all, all your health, you know, all, all kinds of stuff, those all come into play. Um, you know, the, part of this logic kind of goes out the window. You know, this, this is not, you know, if, if everybody who suffered from addiction was totally logical all the time, that would never happen. 
you know, th there are elements here at play that, uh, that maybe even, you know, I don't understand. Uh, and you're right. A lot of times when you would do something and you, you, you get up the next day and you say, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that I did that much. Or, you know, and I've heard all the stories from people that, you know, that fortunately I never went through, you know, wake up and say, oh, gosh, what did I do? Who did I talk to? You know, what phone messages did I send? You know, those kinds of things. Um, those can be horrific. You're right. Uh, you know, in a logical circumstance that the stakes would have been too high. They were. Um, but I think there's a part of you, um, for whatever reason, that feels like it won't happen to me. Uh, well, you know, have we, have, we, have we heard, you know, so I don't want to say I'm bulletproof, but, you know, people think, oh, I can, I can handle this. It will never get to that point until it does. And when it does, it's too late. Well, I mean, there are, there are alcoholics who have had their livers replaced and told that you cannot drink again, like, or you're going to kill you. And they, and you just keep going. So mm -hmm. uh, to your point about, about the, the addict's brain, I, I'm curious because obviously sports and sort of like the team element and you're back into the sports world now, which is really cool. And we'll get into that in just a second, but yep. you know, like winning up, going to Omaha or being all these things that you get to experience as a, as a broadcaster, they, they lend themselves to, all right, I'm on the road. I'm going to grab a beer. I'm mm -hmm. going to be with the team. There's all these moments of challenge for someone like you who is sober. And so one of the things that, that I am fascinated by and, and would love to hear your ex explanation on is just when you get that, that when you see it, like, like there's got to be a trigger for you, right? Where, where you get the intense urge to, to have a drink. Like what, can you try to explain what the process is to sort of calm that down, stop that process and just say, you know what, like that guy's having a beer, no big deal. I'm fine. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of things going through this process now, you know, a, a couple of times. And, you know, I had people, you know, say to me, you know, you're probably going to have to consider another line of work because you're always going to be exposed, you know, to the, to those situations, you know, and again, earlier, I, as I said earlier, I was never one of those that wanted to be out like on a road trip, uh, you know, for a game and then just go out and hang out in the lobby with all the fans and all, you know, I, I, I didn't really never wanted to do that. Uh, anything I, you know, I was, if I was going to have a, have a drink, it was going to be in my hotel room on my own. Um, but part of what you, I think the process of trying to learn those, as you say, triggers, uh, but those situations that could be conducive to putting you in a difficult place, you, you know, you ask yourself some basic questions. Am I hungry? You know, you know, if you're hungry, you can kind of lend yourself to being more open to that. Am I mad at some, am I angry? It's the thing is, am I hungry? Am I angry? You know, am I tired? Uh, you know, those are all factors that come into it. Then the, the other thing that I've had to embrace with this program that I don't think I did uh, originally in, in the program of AA uh, is utilizing the others that are in this program to help you. You know, I, I've got a lot of phone numbers in, in my phone uh, and we all have an understanding and that, you know, you call me 24 hours a day. You know, whatever the situation is, if something's on your mind, if you're thinking something, you know, let, let's let's talk this through. And, and 99 times out of 100, just taking that pause and doing that will take you out of that, that, that thought process and that situation. I was never one until this time around, unfortunately, that was really willing to do that, you know. And, and, and so now that that's become a big part of uh, of trying to keep me you know, where I need to be is just actually letting others help you stay there.
Lamestream is brought to you by Jaspers. I literally have to take my headset off when you do that. Go to Jaspers. It's Jaspers. So, Steve, we call, what do we call Jaspers? We call Jaspers the next evolution of the sports bar, which it is. For many reasons, of course, yeah. free parking, stopping all these different, you know, crises in American culinary food worlds like like parking and bad sports bar food. Here's the deal. We call them that because they constantly are evolving and progressing. And they are right now trying out new menu items to make their next tweak to the menu because, again, they don't sit, they don't sit still. They continue to evolve right at Jasper's. Exactly. I would I would argue. I think I can make the case. That the greatest job on the planet is the person who gets to try Deb Paquette's food to decide whether or not that those items make the menu or not the next time around. Like, I, I feel like you could argue, like, am I crazy to think that could be the greatest job in the history of the world? I don't know about the world, but that's a damn good job, right? That's a, that's, that's a, if you get paid to do that, <laughs> there are worse, there are worse ways to, to, to earn your keep. They are in the process of putting together a couple of tweaks to the menu because, again, they seasonally, you know, things change at a good restaurant like sure, Jasper's. Sure. And I, I, I heard that and I just said, if you need anybody, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> Selfless of you <laughs> to the end. I am here for the people and for my clients. You know what I mean? Like, I just thought, God, what a job that would be. Like, can you imagine just here, try these six things out and tell me which three you think should be on the menu. <laughs> uh, not, not, not a bad gig at all. Something else they're also creating right now. Uh, so every year, Google Clusters, good Nashville, uh, Nashville-based company, does this thing called called their summer Se- summer chef series. It's the it's the seventh time they've done it. What they do is they go around to different restaurants and they get chefs to make like their own like super version of a Gugu, and it's awesome. I, I've I've had some of these in the past. I've had a couple of, of of this year's. It's just really really great stuff. So they went to uh, to Megan Williams, who's the pastry chef uh, there, and said, "Hey, create something for us." And so hers is it's called a mocha bonanza, and you can get it in the market for the month of of July. It is brown butter blondies, banana jam, candied pecans, salted caramel. And coffee white chocolate ganache in a roasted white chocolate shell. It Jesus. is Jesus. It is Christ. insane. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely insane. And it's just, I mean, it's five different things Ooh. that I love, kind of like on top of each other. And and I gotta tell you, I'm not a white chocolate guy. I just I, I'm I'm just not. I'm with and you. This, and this thing is this thing is really okay. And you can get it at the grab and go market at Jasper's. It's at the it's at the grab and go market at Jasper's. It's a charity thing where they you know they're partnering with Gugu and ten percent of all sales go to the Nashville Food Project. Nashville Food Project is like one of the best things in Nashville right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to read more about them, it's the cover story in this week's Nashville Scene. Erica Chicarone did just a fantastic job uh, profiling them. And anyway, go 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 dig into that story, but. But uh, go dig into one of these uh, one of these gugus that they're that they're selling in the market. They're just this is why you listen to Lamestream. You get recommendations inside the advertisement. Go to Jasper's, pick up one of these ridiculous gugu clusters that Megan Williams has done. Who, of course, is doing the dessert menu at, at Jasper's. Again, it's not 
defying the logic of sports bars in America, where we have like a high-end pastry chef at a sports bar. Like this is not a normal place, folks. Go eat there. In fact, we know we know you guys are out there eating. We we know that you media folks in this town are eating at Jasper's. We know this for a fact. It's happening. It's not just the next evolution of the sports bar. It's the next evolution of the Goo Goo Cluster as well. And the money's and some money's going to charity. What the, the hell? Jasper's yeah. literally can't do any more than they're already doing. <laughs> go, go to Jasper's, everybody. You just joined. Uh, you just joined Tennessee Tech, and uh, tell us a little bit about that job, and, and tell us about the conversations that you had with them, because I, I'm sure one of the first things Tech said was, "We know your talents. We've been listening to you on the air for years." Uh, why, you know, tell us why this isn't going to happen again? Actually, that's never come up. Really? Uh, you know, no. To be honest, uh, uh, this this whole and this touches again, uh, going back to the Twitter uh, discussion, because uh, I, I had sent out a, a little uh, update on Twitter uh, once I reached six months um, that said, uh, you know, six months sober, six months unemployed, something's got to change. You know, you know, ha ha. And uh, shortly after that, I received uh, a, a, a tweet from Karen Likens who's the uh, chief communications officer here at Tennessee Tech. And it literally was a one sentence, please reach out to me for a conversation. It didn't say why. I'd never met her before, had no idea. And uh, uh, quite frankly, under normal circumstances, if I got one of those kind of tweets, I would ignore it. You know, I would delete it. I don't I have no idea this is. But I did look enough to see who she was and who she was with. And so I reached out to her. We had a couple of conversations. They wanted to talk about the possibility of me joining uh, the university as director of news and communications. And, and, and I think the good thing about it was we had open dialogue from the beginning because they knew the situation. They, they knew what had happened to me before. They knew why I was not working at Vanderbilt anymore. Uh, that didn't have to be explained. We didn't have to go through that again. Um, and, I think it's one of those things where they, after meeting two or three times together with all those conversations, there was not a, I, they didn't say, now you've got to guarantee me this won't happen again, or, you know, because nobody can guarantee that. Uh, but it's just been a very open, uh, honest, uh, great workplace uh, to be. They've been extremely welcoming to me. Uh, this is not, you know, this, a lot of people saw this and said, oh, you're doing play-by-play -play for Tennessee Tech. That's not what this is at all. You know, in fact, I'm not even in the athletics department. This is for the university itself. I will do things with the athletics department, of course, but I'm here to try to tell stories and help the entire university in all its aspects. So this is very different for me. There are elements of it that are very similar, uh, but, but this is a very different thing. But there was not a, you know, there was not a time where we sat in an office and had this face-to-face, -face, you know, you got to promise me this will never happen again. This has just been an open dialogue from the beginning and very, very healthy, I think. And and they will benefit significantly uh, from from that type of, of healthy relationship, in my opinion. That's just my opinion personally I hope so. with you, Joe. And um, I, I'm curious because you were very open through this entire process. Like I, I spent, and I don't know if I've talked a whole lot about this. I spent 
seven months unemployed, lost 75% of my revenue during the pandemic. It, it certainly affected people in very different ways. But for you in particular, being sort of a, a an isolation drinker, I guess, I don't know what even the phrase would be, but mm-hmm. sort of that being your sort of MO in that situation, it there's no chance that the pandemic didn't didn't exacerbate that to some degree. But through the, the sobriety process and the job search process, you were extremely open about it on, on social media. What, what was the thought process and decision making for you in doing that? Did it just sort of happen or was it a wh- why did you decide to be like that? It wasn't a conscious effort, uh, Braden. I, I just I, I just felt comfortable with it. And I'd had enough people really that stayed in contact with me, you know, that kind of reached out on occasion to say, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. Just to see how you're doing. And there were enough people that I felt like, well, maybe it is beneficial for me to at least just every once in a while, just pop in and say, Hey, we're okay. You know, family is fine. Uh, I'm in a good place uh, working this program. And, you know, I, I have given this over, I have given this all over to God and, you know, my, my whole, you know, focus now is just hoping to find his will for me. And, and once you do that, and you don't want to get into, we can get into the whole religious aspect if you want to, but that's not necessary, but it's just, when you give it, when you give it all away to something else higher than you, uh, that this is not all in your hands all the time. Uh, there's just something about that. That's a steadying process. And I just felt, you know, at, at times it just felt like the right time to just reach out and say something to uh, somebody. I mean, I know, and as, as you guys, you, you know, a lot of people in the business or in athletics or in, you know, broadcasting or whatever, it's not inappropriate to reach out once in a while and just say hi to somebody and make contact. And so many of them did with me. Um, there was no program that I put together and said, okay, at this time, I'm going to send this and I'm going to follow it up with this. And we'll see, I, you know, I think it's some, sometimes you just do that and maybe you don't even know why and things happen because of it. And that's certainly what happened to me. I'm awfully glad I sent the one I did six months at the six month point. <laughs> I, you know, I have friends who are, I have friends who are addicts and, and in recovery. And one of the things they say to me is that the, the, one of the hardest things to do is you get confronted with some aspect of your life during addiction that that you really enjoyed that, that, that you're, that you miss. I I was wondering, I was wondering for you, what, what was it like to watch this Vanderbilt team, for instance, this, this year, Hmm. make another run to into Omaha. And, you know, you'd been, you'd been such a part of those, uh, of those Omaha runs beforehand. What was it, what was it like to, to sit that and sit there and watch that and feel that? Oh, it's extremely emotional. Uh, I, I, you know, I won't, I'll even go back. I remember, I think one of the first times that it really hit me to a, a, a degree was not actually baseball, uh, but it was actually basketball. Uh, when the Southeastern Conference tournament was being played and I was sitting at home and we were all at home and had, had the, the Vanderbilt game on and I was sitting in front of the TV and watching it. And, and my wife kind of made a comment. She said, what's wrong with you? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you're just, there's something, something not right, something about you, what's wrong with you? And I just looked at her and I said, I'm going to be totally honest. I'm not happy. This is the first time in 23 years I haven't been there. Um, that was an emotion to deal with. 
that I just kind of had to go through. But a part of it that I think was very helpful was in the past, I would have never said that to her. I would have just said, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. One of the aspects of getting better in this and dealing with this is being honest. You know, being honest when you don't feel good, being honest when something's on your mind. Um, and I was always the everything's fine was always that way. Um, for baseball, I was really excited um, because I know, having been through it, how difficult it is just to get to Omaha. I mean, just the accomplishment of making it to the College World Series is special. Um, for the people involved that I knew so well, a lot of joy in seeing them accomplish that. And, you know, there, there, there are aspects of this, too. Uh, you know, as negative as the impact was for me for a while on losing my job, there's a silver lining to it in that one of my really, really good friends, Kevin Ingram, moved into that spot and got the opportunity to go to Omaha and, and, and be in the booth and do that. that that's, a, that's a special thing. Uh, that's special for his family to be able to have that you know, position now. That's great for them. Uh, for Andrew Allegretta, who uh, came in to be a part, I've known Andrew for a number of years. And so uh, it, 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 there's a positive, there's always a positive side to it somewhere if you're willing to kind of look for it. And I've had to take some comfort in the fact that some other people were able to benefit positively, positively from all this. And eventually, as it's turned out, so have I. Well, I mean, Kevin doesn't really like baseball, though, so it's it's that's right. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I, I, you know, one of the things that strikes me hearing you talk about your experience is just how different this addiction thing affects people and how differently that sort of manifests itself. Because again, yours was like. I'm not going to go to the bar and be with the guys and close it all down. Like that wasn't how you did it. I'm just with all the people you've met and, and your support system that's now in place, like you said, all the numbers in your phone, like, isn't everybody like, how, what is the lesson for people out there that are either dealing with this, don't know how to deal with it or aren't as familiar that it can just kind of manifest itself in a thousand different ways in a thousand different is that, does that question make sense? That's that I think one of the hardest parts about this, Braden, is there is no textbook thing. You know, there, there's no one way. Uh, there's so many different ways that this impacts so many different people. Uh, I think what I've taken from it, at least in trying to learn to deal with it, is one is I mentioned being honest. And it, it's important to be honest with other people. But primarily, you've got to be honest with yourself. I mean, you have to be willing to admit to yourself that I've got a problem, that I can't do this on my own, that I, and the one phrase that so many guys, I'm just saying guys primarily, but so many people is, I need help. It's amazing how many people don't want to ever utter that phrase. Uh, and I think I have now found through my experience that one of the greatest blessings that you can give yourself and other people is to ask for help. Uh, because in this program, not only do you get help from other people that will support you, but you end up helping them. Uh, it's, you know, I, it's one of those aspects of this program I did not learn until this time through. You're missing a great part of your sobriety and of your life if you don't reach out and help other people. And that's been the aspect that was missing for me up until now because I kept it all hidden. 
I didn't make myself available to help other people because I didn't want anybody to know. Um, that's been the biggest aspect to me, Brayden, is just being honest with yourself and being comfortable enough to ask for help. It's 20 years ago, the stigma on this, uh, I think was far worse than it is now. I am so thrilled to see so many now, whether they're prominent athletes or professionals or whatever, speak out and say, I've dealt with this issue, a, a mental health issue, not necessarily alcoholism, but whatever it is, can't tell you how many people that helps just by putting it out there and talking about it. I think that's a big part of this. Joe, why Tennessee Tech? Because they asked. What was it about the gig, though, you, that you thought, oh, well, this would be interesting? This would, well, this there, there's so many aspects to this. You know, part of it is true. Part of it is they asked. I mean, you know, prior to this, my the most recent job interview I had been on is at a Publix to stack produce. Uh, and and that, that's legit. I had actually done that. Um, and that and they'd offer me the job. I was willing you know, to, to think about it. Um, but I love this aspect of it. I, I think this is a university. I was I had the opportunity to come and sit down uh, with President Oldham. Uh, with Chief of Staff Ray and, and with Karen Likens and just kind of spend about an hour and just listen uh, to kind of what their vision is for what can be done here. And I really like it. I, I think they've got some enthusiasm. They have an opportunity to grow. Uh, they've got some programs here that are, you know, nationally known in their own circles, but maybe not in general. And I think that's one of the things we've got to work on and trying to make them more well-known uh, just in, in the general public. But uh, it, there was a certain aspect to it. I've always liked the idea of being involved in not just um, in, in not just athletics, but in maybe bigger thinking, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, strategy, uh, thinking long-term. Uh, they, they want me involved in those kind of things. Uh, there's day-to-day -day stuff that I'll be doing. There's still some broadcast related things that I'll do on a weekly basis. But I think one of the things that really appealed to me was that this seemed to cross a wide spectrum of things. Uh, and at the end of the day, one of the biggest aspects of it was they made it very, very clear that they wanted me here. Uh, they were extremely enthusiastic and open about saying how much they wanted me to come to this position and be on this campus. And, you know, when somebody, you know, acts that way, especially when you haven't had that offered to you in a long, long time, uh, that, that's a pretty special feeling. So it's, you know, I've got to admit, it's a little bit of a drive. You know, I, I drive from Nashville to Cookville every day, uh, but I've gotten where I kind of enjoy that time as well. So it, it's worked out to be a, a very good situation. I've What's got a the, lot. I've got a lot of podcasts for you, Joe. If you need, I was going to say, if you need any recommendations? I've got some for you. I appreciate what, that. Um, What's the uh, what? The, the, I'm I'm interested in that. What's that routine uh, there and back? What do you listen to? It right now it varies. Uh, I'm actually kind of trying to familiarize myself with some of the things that are up here in this in the Upper Cumberland area, uh, just in general in broadcast. So I haven't gotten into the tapping into all the podcasts and you know, audio books and those kind of things. I'm sort of listening and familiarizing myself with the news and the people up here in this area. I will tell you, I spend a pretty significant part of that drive, especially on the way up here in the morning, really just quiet. Um, I, the, the time to reflect, 
to pray, uh, to think about you know, what's coming for the day, to try to put myself in the right position to get ready for the day. That's an element I've never had. Uh, and and I, I've kind of gotten to where I enjoy that reflective time, just have a little coffee and and uh, make my way east. And so far, so good. And it's and it's going to get prettier and prettier every day that goes Absolutely. by like as, Absolutely. As, we, as we get into the fall. Um, I'm, this is going to sound like an interview question, but I don't mean it like that at all, like like a job interview question. I'm just, you, you've acquired so many skills over your career doing so many things. And obviously, storytelling is at the top of the list and what you do broadcasting. What, what are some of all the other things that you've learned through the course of your career that you want to apply to, to sort of the broad spectrum of thinking that you're talking about, right? Like you've acquired all these skills over these years. What is the, what are those things that you are now kind of going to, you used them in sports over here and now you're going to use them for something else. Does that, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It, it's, it's interesting. I think part of that comes into that strategic thinking aspect of it because uh, I enjoyed, I had a brief stint uh, in between jobs and broadcasting where I was in public relations and had a really wonderful opportunity to do some learning in terms of being in some strategic thinking processes for companies and, and, and you know, big, big decisions to be made. Those were, I think, pretty special. And universities are certainly higher learning institutions, but they're also businesses. And you also have to learn, you know, how to structure and do things that will help you grow and succeed. Uh, not only you know financially, but in terms of the way people see you. And so uh, I'm looking forward to being involved and in trying to roll those things in. There are aspects that I've been able to do, obviously, over the years where uh, you know, hosting events, emceeing events, uh, you know, conducting interviews. Uh, there are going to be those things that are going to factor into this job, I think, as well, that you'll see me either representing Tennessee Tech in some ways or being out to help lead programs where tech is featured. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that. I think that's an aspect that I can bring to it. So uh, I think one of the neat you know, things about this whole job is it's not just you don't write it down on a piece of paper. Your job description is this, this, this. You know, there are those elements, but there are a bunch of blank paragraphs underneath that I think we're going to have the opportunity to fill as time goes on. All right, Joe, you've been incredibly gracious with your time. We are very appreciative um, through this entire process, 23 years of calling Vanderbilt games, going through your battle, coming out the other side to be where you are today. Is there a lesson that you want anyone to, to take sort of holistically looking at this entire life experience that you've had? I, I think, I guess I touched on it. One is always ask for help. The other is as bad as it may seem, it can always get better. Uh, these things almost always will pass. Uh, and if you reach out, do the work, ask for help, don't try to do it by yourself. Uh, I think it's amazing how quickly you can get yourself back on track. And, uh, you know, I, that's been a big lesson for me is because, you know, there were times in that, you know, unemployed time where I, you know, I got down. I was very concerned you know, about what the future was going to hold for me. And it just seems like about the time you feel like it's not going to show up, there it is. And, uh, and that's the way it worked for me. And I think it'll work for everybody else that way too. Joe, thank you so much. You have a lot of people rooting for you, man. And uh, Tennessee it. Tech is better off with you there. Uh, there's no question about it. Thank you, man. Thank, thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it, Braden and Steve. Thank you.
That was Joe Fisher, the communications director for not just sports, for Tennessee Tech now. Uh, after, what, six, seven months of, of unemployment, after being fired from Vanderbilt, everybody sort of knows the story. I, I just, number one, Steve, I'm just incredibly grateful that he trusted us with his story to sort of tell it. And uh, I am I am grateful for that. And uh, hopefully people out there, I think one of the things I care the most about is, sure, we want to hear the story. And there's lots of salacious details in there that a lot of people can't relate to. But there's also a lot of stuff in there that a lot of people can relate to. And I and I hope people out there... Um, you know, you listen and you, you hear something, maybe it relates to what you're going through and, and, it, and it gives you some uh, courage or, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just, I want people to, to hear that. And I think there's a lot of people that need to hear that. I don't know about you. I, certainly within the pandemic, the the confines of the pandemic, this is, this is a topic that has come up around our, our house because, you know, you're confined and you're home and, you know, you maybe have an extra drink or two that you wouldn't have had otherwise because, you know, Hey, I'm working from home or, or I don't have X or Y to do or whatever else. And I, I think for a lot of people, uh, the pandemic was, 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 was a test of, of, of some of those bounds and norms. Uh, I mean, the but, stats are pretty obvious that the drinking levels in this country have gone way up during the pandemic. Yeah. Like it's, but th- I mean, this wasn't the, that situation. I mean, Joe's Joe's is an addiction. And, uh, you know, he, I think he was very candid about it and very, the thing that I was interested from, and, and you heard it in kind of the questions was, this is something that he had, he had worked for. He wanted to be the play-by-play voice of Vanderbilt. And that alone was not enough to keep him from drinking. And, 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 and yeah. that shows you sort of the, the power of addiction there for, that was the, you know, if it costs you, what is, you know, what, what is essentially your dream job? Because you can't, you you don't have control over it. It's just amazing to me. The other thing too is that different jobs have different stakes. You know, if I if I screw something up, it's probably not going to cost me my job. If if I misstate something here on a podcast, it's probably not going to cost me, you know, my livelihood. But for for Joe, it it took one screw up on air, and it cost him his job. And I've kind of grappled with kind of the fairness of that. You know, you put in 20 some odd years of service. Do you get, you know, do you get a get out of jail free card or not? You know, he had, he had battled this a couple of times before, had been through a couple of different rehab programs. I don't know, you know, he didn't say kind of like what that disclosure to Vanderbilt was, but there hadn't been any problems on air and it hadn't affected his performance. And and so it, it just seems a little cruel that, that this one thing cost him his job. Now he disclosed to Joe Rexford of the athletic in a story that he did talk to David Williams about this in I believe 2018. And then the chancellor Nick Zeppos knew about it as well. So I'm assuming that the powers that be in charge knew, knew that this was a potential landmine that he at the time had sort of shown that he had overcome, right? He had, he had been sober for a while uh, and had the mistake. And then the mistake led to, the situation late in 2020. And I, I agree. I think it's so weird that it, we're, we're sitting here talking about a guy with a major addiction who does make a mistake. Like, let's not be, let's not, you know, mess around with that. It's a, it's a clear mistake. Like it's a problem. You can't be slurring yep. your words on a radio show. It's, it's a huge screw up. And to his credit, he's learned that lesson, obviously. Um, but if we're to, you know, we've talked about like people getting fired over tweets from high school, you know, like it, it puts into perspective if we're having a legitimate conversation about should a university stand behind an employee that that has this, has a clear mistake and a clear screw up, I think it puts into perspective all the other things that are happening. And I think to your point, if a, if a professor 
of, of in the law school that no one's ever heard of, you know, has a drinking problem. Are they, are they getting fired because they had a drink before a lecture? I, I don't know. I, I don't I honestly don't know. I don't live in that world. I don't know. It's it's a mistake. It's a problem that needs to be fixed. But do you stand behind that person and help them through the problem or 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 not? And Vanderbilt chose not to with with Joe Fisher. And that's their prerogative. It's very debatable. I think the I think the unfortunate thing is, you know, if you have a problem and you go to your employer and you say, I have this problem and it hasn't been a problem at your job before and you are, are you essentially penalizing yourself for for disclosing that problem? And I, I don't know the answer to that. It, certainly, an, certainly an employer does not want to have the risk of someone in such a high profile position potentially be drunk on the air. The, the flip side of that is. Or what what kind of culture you're creating for your employees where if they come to you and disclose voluntarily that they have this problem and ask uh, for help and ask for, and ask for help i mean he went into he went into rehab then what are you what are you saying to them that at the first problem that he had a relapse on air you know that cost him his job I, 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 that that's something i really struggled with and i don't i don't know that i have the answer for it it likely but, depends unfortunately in our society with how talented you are and unfortunately for Joe, like this, this in, in this situation, Joe is extremely talented. Again, I will say the fact that he did, had the issue prior and had disclosed it to the university prior two years earlier. I, there, it's, I'm with you. There's a lot of gray area. It's very, very difficult to understand the right thing to do. And I think you kind of have to just say Vanderbilt, you get to decide. And they decided. And Joe Fisher, I'm glad, has landed on his feet at Tennessee Tech. I, I will say one one other thing that struck me about Joe's story that I think is very that is unique or at least illuminating. Is that I think a lot of us have the this this vision of what an alcoholic is in our brain, and and that that's like it's like Frank Gallagher from Shameless on on Showtime, where you're just like you're passing out in random rooms because you're out at the bar all night and you're with your friends at, out doing stupid crazy stuff, acting like an idiot. And there are plenty of people that actually do that. Or you're aggressive, belligerent, or you're whatever right, else. Right. We we have this image of of what an alcoholic looks like in our head, and I think Joe Fisher completely destroys every one of those stereotypes in his experience. It doesn't make it any less of a disease, but I think it's important to sort of see that it comes in many different shapes, sizes, colors, and, and, and methods. And I think that's an important lesson. At least I took that from, from Joe is that it doesn't always involve X, Y, or Z. It can involve a whole lot of other things. So, and if you're ready, we can jump into recommendations here because I have a very like sort of, you'll recommend something specific, which is sort of, um, the assignment here <laughs> at the end of the show. Uh, so, I, so, you, so I'm doing my job. Thanks. You're really following the rules. I'm sort of going a different direction in light of the big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowlesby coming out and basically asking his athletes to get vaccinated and saying, guess what guys there, this del if this variant is serious and we're going to, we could have more disruptions this season in college football because it's still here. We're still dealing with it. And I'm willing to bet you my recommendation in, in a very, vague way here is to listen to every conference commissioner over in college football over the next week and a half. I'm willing to bet you their message is all very similar to Bob Bowlesby. The follow-up recommendation is to not behave like last year. <laughs> like Let's not behave to each other like last year. Uh, I just let, let's listen to people in charge. Let's try to think about each other and be okay with things and, and, and maybe, you know, use science and fact and rational logic to, to make decisions and treat each other well on Twitter. I, I don't know. I don't, it's, it's a very nebulous recommendation, but go listen to the conference commissioners over the next two weeks, listen to their message. And I'm willing to bet you we'll have a really awesome college football season. If everybody does that, <laughs> that's and go get your shot. 
Right. Is that a weird? Rec- I know it's a weird recommendation, but uh, that's not a bad recommendation. Uh, okay, my recommendation, completely different. My recommendation is a six-episode BBC show called River. So it still stars uh, Stellan Skarsgård along with a host. If you watch much British television, you're going to recognize a bunch of different sort of faces in it. It's a it's a it's a cop show, but it's not a cop show. It, it's a show about this cop trying to solve the mystery of his his partner's murder but also kind of dealing with his own personal demons, which include, which include talking to dead people. It is absolutely fascinating. We, 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 it came up in a recommendation engine. And so we, we watched a trailer for it on YouTube and thought like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And I'll, and I'll put the trailer up on, on my uh, Twitter feed if you want to see it. It's full of great performances and the writing in it is fantastic. It, it, it is just top shelf. And the thing that makes it so fascinating is that it is it is in dealing with his own personal issues that parts of the case get solved. And so half of this is happening in his head. Half of this is happening kind of in the real world. It's just really one of the more unique shows that I've that I've seen out there. The, the producers have done have done stuff like Broadchurch and a few other kind of big things that you may have seen, but Skarsgård is fantastic. The supporting cast won a bunch of the British equivalent of the Emmys. I think they're called the BAFTAs. We have and a way better name for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just, it, it's just a great, and it, the, the the best part of it for us was limited investment. It's six episodes. We, we know we're not, we're not locking yeah. in for, for yeah. 50 episodes or 60 episodes of binging something. So, you know, we knocked it out in a week and it was, it was fantastic. River, right? That's the name? River? River. Pretty easy to remember. Listen to conference commissioners, be nice to people, get your vaccine, and watch River. That's what we're saying to people today on the show. I think that knocks it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, special thanks to Joe Fisher. Uh, could not find and, and know a kinder man in the industry and glad to see him uh, back in the business. Not surprised to see him back in the business, but glad to see him back in the business. Where can people follow you, Steve Cavendish? They can follow me on the Twitters at Scavendish. Uh, you can... Follow me on Instagram at scavendish too, but you're only going to see pictures of like tomato plants and my dogs. So, I mean, God bless tomato plants, and it's it's that time of year, baby. Give me some. Yes, it is. Give me some Cherokee purples, maybe some pink ladies. I'm good to go. You can follow me at Braden Gall on Twitter at Braden D Gall on Instagram, which for me is mostly just shots of weird construction happening around my house. So again, if you're into (laughs) tomato plants, dogs, and construction, check us out on IG. Uh, Otherwise, follow 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook, of course, at 440 Media on Instagram. Lamestream is brought to you by Steve Cavendish. Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. Free parking and an elevated sports bar menu. It is the next evolution of the sports bar. It absolutely is. Thanks to Joe Fisher. He is Steve Cavendish. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe and whisper gently into a friend's ear. Listen to Lamestream Sports in a not creepy way at all. Thank you all for hanging out with us. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.